Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night. And the number one show at 5 o'clock. We tell you the way it is, and uh, we don't mince any meat uh, doing it. And uh, this is a TriCast. Uh, we're broadcasting on WABC Radio Studios in Midtown. And also participating, WLIR and 970, uh, The Answer. All great stations. And uh, in the studio with us, as we have Common Sense Democrat, we have uh, Judge uh, Richard Weinberg. And we're missing some Republicans. I mean, where are the Common Sense Republicans today? You scared them oh, off, John. Maybe, they're stuck in traffic. It's pretty you know, brutal Maybe out there. they're stuck in traffic. Maybe they're still coming. But it's just us. Yeah. Well, and, you got uh, Lydia. You got Lydia. And my sidekick, Lydia yes. uh, Serrani. How are you, Lydia? I'm doing well, sir, but traffic is pretty intense out there. So maybe somebody's caught up in there uh, because it looks like nobody goes to work anymore on a Friday. But we got a great show. But so, today's Thursday. So if you are stuck in traffic, I know, if you are stuck in traffic, you will. the time will go by very quickly because this show is jam-packed with information and great guests. We're going to have Dr. Mark Siegel, John Chachis, Chadwick Padromos, Dr. Padromos, who's going to talk to us about the fountain of youth charlie gasparino of course we'll talk to him about that twitter deal is the deal on hold or not or what kathy wild kathy wild is the city going to ever open up again fully and what's holding it back and first on the line though we've got michael goodwin pulitzer prize winning writer columnist and just an all-around common sense guy that has the courage to speak the truth and nothing but the truth hi michael goodwin so help me god (laughs) (laughs) i take the oath (laughs) <laughs> okay. Michael, what the heck are we talking about today? There's so many things going on, and, and right now uh, there's a conflict uh, with the Durham case. Uh, uh, the F- former FBI general counsel says that that uh, the Sussman. Clinton lawyer Sussman lied, lied to him or lied to somebody. And are you familiar with it? Can you bring it all New Yorkers, all Americans up to date? Well, I'll do my best, John. Um, Michael Sussman is a lawyer who worked uh, for the Clinton campaign in 2016. And uh, he worked for a law firm also that uh, Perkins Coy, which was a Democratic law firm largely, worked for the DNC, for the Clinton campaign, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, the firm uh, was used, as we know now, as a cutout. So the, ca- the campaign paid money to the law firm, which then went out and hired Fusion GPS, a smear merchant, uh, who then went and hired Christopher Steele, who essentially fabricated the Steele dossier. Uh, so that's the connection to the Clinton. Michael Sussman took another tact in trying to uh, fabricate the uh, Trump-Russia collusion story, which was that he went directly to the FBI, somebody he knew there, the general counsel, who told him and told him that uh, 
according to the charges, that I'm not working for anybody, but I just want you to know that there is this secret computer connection between Donald Trump's campaign and a Russian bank. Uh, and it turned out that this secret computer connection, which they had already uh, leaked to the media, uh, was nothing. It was it was spam, essentially. Uh, that was that the uh, the bank was sending everywhere, uh, but uh, they, they tried to get the media to write a story about it, and having failed that, they went to the FBI, saying basically wanting the FBI to look at this. Now the the issue at hand, the trial charge. There's just one uh, uh, charge indictment against Michael Sussman. And it is that he lied to the FBI when he told them he wasn't representing anybody, when, in fact, he then later book, uh, billed the Clinton campaign for his time. So uh, according to the uh, Justice Department, the indictment, he was working for the Clinton campaign, but did not want to admit that to the FBI. He mm -hmm. portrayed himself allegedly as just a good public citizen looking to help the agency. Uh, that's the trial. and so Just the, to allow him to be able to get in and talk. That's right. That's right. Had he said, I'm uh, I'm working for the Clinton campaign, he would have been less likely to get a hearing, uh, especially from a top uh, official in the FBI. And, and I mean, the, 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 the factual is it doesn't mean it implicates uh, Hillary Clinton because of the fact that he's a guy that's trying to do a, a good job for the campaign. I'm just trying to say the way I, I'm looking at it. He's trying to do a good job for the campaign. So if she became president, she would give him emperorship or was on something. Mm -hmm. Well, yes and no. Uh, look, I mean, she's he he's being paid to do this by her. Um, so when she's out raising money for people to to give her money, she's using that money for things like this. She's using that money to pay somebody to go and allegedly lie to the FBI uh, that, that, and deny that he's working for her, uh, and to, fed, to, more importantly, I think, to feed a false story, which is there was nothing to this. It, it's all, it was all BS. Involved. It was all BS. But unless you get collaborating witnesses that at least two people say that he told me, Podesta, they may get. But I, so, uh, how many of them are going to give up Hillary? I respect She's not on trial. I, she, uh, that, they won't go that way in this They state. won't go. Okay. They won't I, go I respectfully disagree with you, John. You could. Okay. You, 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 you could do whatever you want. You're a judge. Okay. <laughs> you get so, people out of jail when their time is up. Maybe, maybe I told you. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Michael, I think it's, yes. it's corroborated. It's corroborated by a text from the night before. So it's That's not correct. just yeah. so it's not just him getting on the stand and saying thus and such. It's corroborated that at least on two occasions he said that he was representing nobody who's there as a good citizen trying to help. And that's well, and and I think I, he's, I, well I just say furthermore too uh, other witnesses in the FBI have testified that uh they that that they 
they talked to the general counsel who met with Sussman, and Sussman told them he said he didn't have a client. Uh, they took notes from that interview. So it, it's pretty clear that Sussman believed that uh, – I mean, that uh, the FBI general counsel believed that Sussman did not have a client. Right. And that's the lying to the FBI agent. And that's the crime. And then you have overwhelming proof of this beyond a reasonable doubt. And he should be uh, he should be convicted on the evidence so far unless they have a, a rebuttal to that. But the big now, which raises an interesting question, I think, knowing that the government had the text in which he said, I have no client and therefore would seem to be convicting himself. Why would they take this to trial? Uh, why would the defense not take a plea bargain in some way? My, I'll answer my own question this way. They're counting on the Washington, D.C. jury pool mm -hmm. to hate Donald Trump so much uh, and to love Hillary Clinton that they will, they will, uh, there will be one or two jurors who will acquit. Okay, that's that's what you know in, in the in the law. Both in, do you uh, need you need uh, all in, six yeah, or all twelve to 12. say guilty? Yes, yes. But listen, but this is there's a tradition in the common law. You're never going to get twelve out of twelve. No. Of so-called deviant verdict. Okay, and they expect mm -hmm. and Michael is exactly right. They expect a deviant verdict. And when for whatever reason they allowed three people on this jury, Michael, who gave money to Obama, to Clinton, to AOC allowed those people to be on while there wasn't challenges for cause or preemptory challenges to knock these people off. I have no idea. I just don't get it. I never would have allowed that, you know, if I was presiding in that trial. It's just absolutely ridiculous to have that. And that jury panel, and that's really the truth of it, the jury panel in the District of Columbia you, raises a serious question. Can you get a fair trial if you're on the other side of the Democratic establishment? Yeah, I mean, it's what, look, 97, 95 percent vote for Democrats every time uh, in any federal election. Uh, look, I, I don't know why why those jurors were seated. I, I My understanding, Judge, you would know better, is that under the federal law, under federal rules of uh, court, of trial, that uh, the the lawyers have a lot less leeway than they do in many state courts. Yeah, but the, the point is the judge has a— has a role to inquire whether or not someone, the standard is, well, can you be fair and impartial? And you have to reaffirm your oath for being fair and impartial. I'm going to switch topics now. And another topic you know all too well about Michael Goodwin, Hunter Biden. So MSNBC even put out an article that analysis of his hard drive shows that he and his firm took in about $11 million from 2013 until 2018. They spent it fast on everything that we know so far. What do you think about the fact that finally the mainstream media is catching on and will Joe Biden ever get implicated into that's why we keep bringing up Hunter Biden. We can't be responsible for what our children do. But we know Joe Biden has has lied repeatedly. He's been busted numerous times and the media basically helped him cover it up. Well, that's true. And uh, and you're correct that uh, when NBC and some of the others, uh, the Washington Post recently, the New York Times, uh, have, have started to authenticate the emails on Hunter Biden's laptop, where all this comes from primarily, uh, it, it is about time. And I, I wish I felt more satisfaction, but these are the same people who tried to bury the New York Post coverage of this before the 2020 election. And so therefore, I'm 
not so excited when they finally come so, around to admitting the facts. When the New York Times is doing that, does that mean the the liberal media? And I, I don't use those words. I apologize for using it because that's not me. But does that mean does the liberal media decided, let's hang Hunter Biden, his father will pardon him later? That's a good question, John. I, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, I, I think they, they may be operating on two tracks. One is they're getting leaks from the FBI about this investigation. Uh, they finally decided that it may be a serious case, and therefore they better cover their own butts by writing something about it. Uh, but at the same time, each of these stories are very careful to say uh, there's no evidence implicating Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, that, that's not true. That's simply not true. There's plenty of evidence implicating Joe Biden. Uh, if, if by implication you mean, as, as Lydia said, he lied, he, clear, he said, I've never discussed my son's business with him. Now, that is so patently ridiculous. Uh, his son flew with him to China to make a deal on Air Force Two in 20, uh, 26, 2013, 2014. Uh, we have lots of photos of Joe Biden meeting with Hunter Biden and his associates, including someone from Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company, the corrupt Ukrainian energy company that hired him. So the idea that Joe Biden knows nothing, never knew anything, never talked to anybody. And then you have uh, the Tony Babalinsky testimony which is that I met with Joe Biden. He was the big guy who was going to get 10 percent from a deal. So I think the media, when it keeps saying there's no evidence implicating Joe Biden, is really uh, it's almost like to me they're throwing Hunter to the wolves and to protect Joe Biden. You know, their their client is Joe Biden. Uh, Michael, what what about Biden himself as vice president of the United States with a Ukrainian portfolio going there and threatening to stop payment of billions of dollars to the Ukraine unless their prosecutor is fired. What about that? Yeah, and that's on tape. Right. right? He, he admits that on tape. He bragged Look, about I, it. I think Joe Biden has become so comfortable uh, in his own corrupt ways that he got sloppy. Uh, and he could he would not have done that. Right. That that that. That speech at a at a think tank afterwards, I think it was the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, after he after he left office, if he felt there was ever any danger of Hunter being caught up in any kind of scandal, but uh, and the same way with this thing when he said I, I never uh, never met with any of Hunter's so never talked to him about it. I mean, even reporters from NBC and others have have pestered the White House and saying, does he still stand by that? You know, with all this new evidence, does he still stand by that? And they say yes. So I think he's trapped in this history of lies. You know, the the, the, the great Howard Rubenstein, the, the, uh, the late PR executive, had a little sign on his desk. And it, it was, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. And I think that's what trapped Joe Biden here. He didn't tell the truth, and now he's stuck defending these things. Could we talk to you about the, the Buffalo situation? We got, we got uh, two minutes okay. left before well, a break. Uh, because 
on this Buffalo situation, which is absolutely outrageous, it's clearly a, a racial attack against part of our, our citizenry. But now you see it becoming politicized as a blame game. What do you say about that? Well, look, I think uh, it's inevitable with politics being what it is and Democrats being so far down in the polls, uh, worried about losing both houses of Congress. I mean, they're they're grabbing at straws. I mean, they did it with the abortion. Uh, they're, and now they're doing it with this. I thought the, the president's speech the other day was fine uh, in Buffalo up to a point. He said some things that needed to be said by the president. And then he went over that line and he basically linked January 6th and Buffalo as the same sort of thing. And I think that that is just disgraceful. It's shameless. It's it's it, it means he doesn't care about any issue he might want to make, whether it's, say, more gun control or anything like that, he will sacrifice that on the altar of scoring cheap points and trying to paint Republicans with the racism brush. I think it's, I think it's beneath the office, but unfortunately, it's not beneath Joe Biden. Mean, well, yeah, meantime, if the Democrats wanted to remain in power, all they'd have to do, John, is what would they have to do? Turn on the spigots, right? That's all. They, North America opened up the... Uh, Open up for the uh, crude oil and uh, inflation will go back down. I mean, that would solve a lot of our problems. The baby formula crisis, yeah. the gas crisis, energy, you name it. But blame the white, blame the white boogeyman instead. Michael Goodwin, thank you for everything you do for America. Because you, you're out there doing what we're doing, telling the truth and, and letting the American people know. God bless you and we'll catch up soon. Thank you very much, John. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. We got a lot to talk about when it comes to the economy on the line for us right now. Charlie Gasparino, when he's not lifting weights, he's uh, speaking the truth and coming on Fox and right here at WABC. Admiring his uh, muscles. He's always posting pictures of himself like pumping iron. I it's cute, that, though. I it's thought cute. that was Chris Cuomo. I'm, am I it's, I, I, You could confuse the two, actually. Charlie, you're admired by the ladies. Just, yeah. That's it's... good. At least somebody likes me. We've got to have a little laughs. So the Elon Musk Twitter deal, he's saying it's it's on hold. It's on again, off again. What the heck is going what on? What the heck is going on? Uh, you, know, you know, I don't think anybody knows. And this thing could play out in a lot of weird ways. Um, Twitter came out today and said, or I read a headline, I shouldn't say I verified this, but I did read a headline, that Twitter said that it's not going to renegotiate the price down from what what uh, Elon initially offered, 54, whatever it was, 5480. Um, Elon comes out and says, well, you know, you're, there are too many bots and you're, you're fudging your user growth numbers. Obviously, if this is where it's going, it's going to court. Now, this is where it can get interesting in court. What does a judge do when Twitter goes and says, listen, there's no real material adverse um, clause that is being breached here. He's making up the stuff about user growth. Here is our audited user numbers. And he had all the time in the world to, to check this out, and he's only backing out now. And there's written in the, in the, in the contract that he signed – I mean, he has to, in order to get out of this thing, you you got to, like, show a certain level of malfeasance on the part of Twitter. Um, 
you know, Musk will say, well, that means this is the user growth, which they'll go back and forth. So then it's up to a judge. And, you know, I was talking to John Coffey about this. John is the um, professor of, of business law at Columbia University. He's one of the smartest guys when it comes to corporate law. He actually practices it. He's not just an academic. He said it's not out of the sort of – it's not out of the range of possibilities that a judge could essentially – get an injunction and could seek an injunction that Twitter will seek an injunction approved by a federal judge and the ordering that judge ordering Elon to carry through with the initial bid. And if he ignores that, that order, that could put him in jail. Now we know he has a history of ignoring, you know, court orders and regulatory deals that he strikes. I mean, he's known for this. He's known for this with the SEC when he had that consent decree with them over his, um, allegedly fake um, bid to take uh, Twitter private. The SEC sued him for essentially lying to investors. They won, the, or he settled, and he was supposed to keep off Twitter and not attack people on Twitter unless or get his tweets approved by, by the, the board. He, he obviously ignores that. So he has a history of this. And coffee it Reminds me of not, somebody else. Yes, he's very Trumpian when it comes to Twitter. But it was funny, like, Coffee is a pretty sober guy. He raises the possibility that Elon Musk could be thrown in jail if he ignores, you know, if there's certain things play out a certain way. That's a headline. That's definitely <laughs> – that's does, a, If it happens. You, you want to know wow, something? If he signed a, a document, an NDA like that, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, they can get rid of Elon Musk that way. Don't have to pay him that billion dollar fee, and just get him off the and get him off his, their backs. Well, John, they want him to buy it. I mean, here, here's the thing. Let's, let's be real clear. This is a crummy business. It, it's bad for private equity because it doesn't generate enough cash flow, right? So private equity generally needs cash flow generating businesses so it can, you know, pay off debt or do whatever in private and fix the business and then sell it. This doesn't have that cash flow. Uh, it doesn't have cash flow. Um, it doesn't have a lot of good buyers. Disney doesn't want it because it's bad theoretically for Disney's image. You know, all the crazy people and bots on Twitter. Other places have looked at it and walked away. Big tech, I guess Google would would buy it maybe, but you know, Google can't. You know, the old big tech is sort of out of it because of antitrust. Uh, so there's only like one person that could do this deal, and they need to be sold, and that's Elon. And so. He's kind of got them in a in a position where, yeah, they can they can roll the dice and try to get a federal judge to you know make make him buy this thing. But if that doesn't happen and he walks away, the stock is going down at twenty or fifteen. Nobody's going to buy the thing. Maybe they'll buy it for a song. It, it's it's really you know this is a real interesting game of corporate chess that's going on here. But that, Charlie, Charlie, it, it really no, it really is corporate chess. Well, that's right, Charlie. It's, it's Richard Weinberg. The point is, as you know, there's a fiduciary obligation on the part of the board to right. try to enforce the deal. Therefore, in this game of corporate chess, as you and John just described it, they have to go in, as Coffee has indicated, to get that injunction against him because they can't let him off the hook. They're obligated to do something. And if they don't get the something. injunction, though, they're well, going to have – this is where it gets interesting. They also have fiduciary responsibility shareholders. Suppose Elon comes back and says, I'll give you 35, and that's it. Um, or else, um, you know, you didn't get the injunction. I'll pay the, the, the billion-dollar breakup fee. And they might have to take that. I agree. Because they're not going to get 
35 in, in this, especially in this market. Well, I, I'm not going to say Elon, 35 is very light. Uh, Elon could come back maybe with 45. Uh, that'll make it easier. I think he goes lower. Mm. All right. We, you might be I, I, right. The stock you is trading at right. 38, and we're not even done with the Fed yet. All right. Move on. What, what else do you want to tell the American people? Um, you know, there's a. <laughs> you, you know, here's the thing that I find interesting. The institutional investors and the, the big hedge fund guys have all capitulated. The only place that hasn't been real capitulation in this market is with retail. And they're either the smartest guys in a room or they're following the, the script that they're not. <laughs> and the script is baked into, you know, you've seen this in per, as other bubbles have burst. You know, institutional smart money gets out real quick. Even in 2000, during the dot-com bubble blowing up, you know, retail stayed, you know, until until they had to bail at the end when NASDAQ, and that caused NASDAQ to totally crash. Remember, I think it went way below 2000. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if and when retail collapses here. If they do, this market is going down, you know, tremendously from here. Whoa. And, and, uh, well, if you see retail sales, and maybe mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. maybe I'm crazy or somebody else is crazy, but they're not keeping up with the rate of inflation. So even though it shows they're up a little bit, they should have been up more than a little bit. Right. I was talking. I was talking, John. I was talking about retail investors, though. Okay. I'm talking, uh, but okay. You can, you can draw. You can draw a comparison. When does retail investors, the average guy that's huge in the market with crypto and meme stocks and all this stuff, when do they capitulate? Maybe you do see a sign in retail sales because you know that's the average person. Do, uh, are they pulling out of the economy? And then, you know, that may be the time when they do sell their stocks. My comment is, you know, I think you're right. They're starting to get nervous. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, another sign that the economy could be going down the tubes even further is the diesel. Talk of diesel fuel rationing. John, you're the first one well, to bring I'm this up. Well, I'm the one that announced <laughs> it last week. The New York Post had a, uh, a editorial today. What say you about uh, there could be shortages? And they were talking about odd and even. You know, if he goes there with odd and even, Joe Biden, without drilling, he, he's really, he really is toast. I mean, then, then the I think Trump could win it and run and win. I don't know how the country will, will allow that to happen when we have oil here. And, and you know, he's going to just, you know, just bow to the environmental lobby and do odd and even while we have oil here. I mean, that is he, that, that is so sinful. All he has to do is control inflation, is just open up the spigots in North America. I know. You're right. You're absolutely Charlie right. Charlie Gasparino, thank you so much, and thank you for telling the truth to the American people, and God bless you, and thank God you, bless John. America. Thank you. Appreciate it, John. Thanks, guys. Let's take a break, and when we come back from the break, stay tuned. Uh, there's a, uh, the doctor that, uh, that uh, Dr. Peter Michalos has been talking about, uh, Chadwick Prodromos, with stem cell technology— that will make you live for a long time. So if you want to, if you want to live for a long time, you better not hang up right after this break. John Katz and the Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. Now, do you want to live forever? Do you want to live uh, disease-free? I mean, who doesn't? Well, this doctor might have the answer to that. Dr. Chadwick Padromos, he's an international leader in the use of stem cell and platelet-rich plasma treatment. And 
He's uh, received his bachelor's with honors from Princeton, his MD from John Hopkins Medical School. Basically, he's one smart guy. Dr. Padromas, how are you, sir? I'm terrific. Thank you. Uh, tell us, uh, I, I talked to Dr. Mihalos, who told me he spent a uh, long weekend with you, and and uh, he uh, he has said wonderful things about you and the technology you're using and, and your thoughts. Tell the American people what's going on with stem cells. Um, what's going on is that they're available and they're useful, and um, in the world um, they are restricted by the which is trying to protect people but they're extremely safe and they're just not available in the united states and after working with what we were allowed to use i i just wanted to use these technologies that are available and that are helping people and are not going to be available in the united states for a long time so are you doing it somewhere other than the united states where it's legal yes yes Exactly right. So we go to the beautiful Caribbean island of nation of Antigua. So Antigua has stem cell licensure. Um, it is legal there. We use an FDA-registered, internationally certified tissue bank in the United States, which um, can only provide them if they're being used in a legal venue. So people, uh, people come there. Um, it's, it's very safe and it's easy, and they come for anywhere from one or two days. Many people come for a week. And they come there. Now, uh, when people want to come, now you also have, what, a Chicago office? Yes. I've been in practice in Chicago for 38 years. We have a satellite office in there. go one week a month. Uh, so if I wanted to check out my arm, my arm, you know, I've been playing too much uh, tennis or whatever, I would come to you maybe in Chicago and, and you would find out, you, you would say to me, John, you probably qualify for it if you want to do it. Yes. So, you know, as you alluded to, we just play the rich plasma for most minor orthopedic I'm a specialist, although my time now is devoted to stem cells. But, for example, for people with back pain um, who are turning to spine surgery, um, spine surgery is very useful in some circumstances, but it has a relatively high failure rate. When it fails, it often fails spectacularly, um, and it's something you can't get out of. It's major surgery. Um, so we treat people with um, back pain, disc disorder, facet disorders, that sort of thing, and have have had fantastic success just doing an epidural injection, a facet injection. This is very easy. We have one of the best pain doctors in the country who comes down to do it. So one of the places where we can do the most good in the orthopedic realm is there. We also find that a majority of the people that we see that have been told we don't replacements um, actually don't. And we are able to treat them, although we use PRP for some of those people. Um, but it goes, it goes well beyond that. We're having very good success. With Doc, doctor, let me, this is Richard yeah. Weinberg, sir. Would you explain to, to our audience, how does it work on this, uh, using I'm, the stem I'm, I'm, cells? What's the out, process? Go slowly you, you, you cut out. You cut out. Uh, what's the process, sir, for getting the stem cell treatment? How does that work? Uh, the, the, the process is that um, you, um, you, you call our office, you get uh, intake, um, and then you, you, tell, you tell our intake people about what the problem is. They talk to me. They talk to me. Um, and then we screen the people. We have a Zoom. Um, and we, you know, decide something that would be appropriate for them, if there are other things that could be used. 
Um, so we have we have an email and a phone number. So I go to is, so uh, I go to the island, and what happens to me at the island as a patient? So you get there. Um, if we're treating on a Saturday, you would take a flight. It's about two and a half hours south of Miami. So you get there on a Friday afternoon. On Saturday, you're taken to the clinic, um, and it's it's a very seamless, nice experience. We have a wonderful resort. We got a reduced rate at, and so we take care of people well. You get there, an IV is started. The cells are stored on liquid nitrogen um, and are thawed about 15 minutes before use. They go in through an IV. Really don't feel anything. takes maybe 45 minutes. If you've got a back problem, we have a pain specialist who injects your back. There's a state-of-the-art operating room there, although there's no surgery, but with equipment. Um, And and, and that's the story. And then you wait there for an hour, hour and a half, go back to the resort. And um, depending on what you're having, if it's an anti-aging IV, you'd go home the next day. If you're having multiple joints injected, we have a number of professional athletes, for example. We keep you there for a couple of days because you get soreness for a couple of days. So, Dr. Padromos, in addition to back pain and joints, you said about aging. What what diseases exactly do you treat so, so that this PRP there, could help? Yeah, Right. There, there's a long list. I have a, a nonprofit foundation. And we have very smart people working for us. So we read everything in the literature. And we have files on, on disorders. We have 28 separate clinical trials um, that we put people into. So they, they fall into broad categories. Um, autoimmune diseases um, respond well to varying degrees. We have terrific success with MS, good success with rheumatoid arthritis, for example, um, scleroderma. Um, then, you know, osteoarthritis of joints and backs. Um, there was other work that we're doing with um, actually spinal cord injury, where when they're combined with lymphocytes, um, the, the spinal nerves can grow back and restore some motor function. Um, and, I, you know, this sounds a little like science fiction, but it's, it's real. Um, and then for anti-aging, we have people, you know, we were featured, as you perhaps know, in Tony Robbins' book, Life Force. Um, he visited us and selected us to do stem cells for their company. And so there are inflammatory markers, and we do EEGs, too. We're working with a wonderful organization called Royal Neuroscience. So we had to get EEGs before, blood tests. And, you know, it's hard to prove that you're going to live longer. But as far as decreasing inflammation, living better, um, more mental clarity, that kind of thing, there are people without diseases who come down for that reason also. Dr. Chadwick, uh, uh, now you're, you're from what area? Chadwick is a British name? No, no, it's it's Consandinos. It was uh, my my oh. parents got creative. My father was Consandinos, and they called him Gus. And we had a cousin called Chad. So they just this is back in the fifties. It, it it wasn't as cool to be ethnic then as it is now. So, <laughs> but, so I'm from so I'm a hundred percent Greek. Uh, my mother's people. I'm second generation. My grandparents are from Kalamata on her side, and from Sparta and Smyrna Spartan. in Asia Minor. Well, my father's side. The, sp- the Sparta people are very brave people. The Kalamata people make great olives. Yeah. And my mother was born in Constantinople. There you go. Yeah, so the, the Asia, Asia Minor Greek. My wife was born in Adesina, and she, had, she also had a grandparent from, um, actually from Smyrna. But, uh, All right. Yeah, see, today. you confused us with the name Chadwick. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking again real soon. Thank you for your yeah. update to the American people, and we'll talk again real soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Have a you. Good night. Right now, we got Kathy Wild on the phone. Before we go to a break, let's take Kathy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she uh, is Kathy, New, is you New ha- York yeah. ever opening yeah. up yeah. Uh, the office buildings? Of, uh, were you there last night at the PAL dinner? 
where uh, Eric Adams' uh, speech on a scale of 1 to 10 was a 12. Uh, he, he hit everything the right way. He, he hit it out of the park, that, and he demanded that people come back to their offices working. He demanded our streets get safe. Uh, Kathy Wild, your, your floor. Well, absolutely, and the mayor also did a very smart thing in not bowing to the pressure to impose another mask mandate, which really would have set us back. So I, I think uh, people are beginning to understand that this is the new normal, that we're going to be living with COVID or some successor variant, whatever, for a very long time, and we better go about our business. Kathy Weil, what percentage of offices here in New York City are currently occupied? Well, the, Not occupancy, of, the yeah. occupancy of offices it depends on the day of the week. Ah. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, things are pretty busy. The problem with getting people back is largely Monday and Friday. Yeah. So you'll notice a you'll notice a difference if if you want a, a traffic a, a, a traffic free spin through the city. Come on, Monday or Friday. Yeah, she's right. That's what I was saying before Thursday today. The traffic is out of control. Probably people are leaving town or. What I mean, I think the days of five days a week in office, it's over. I think I think hybrid model is what's going to be the norm. Lydia, you're wrong. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't allow that. Well, I know and, you. And, yeah. and, and let me tell you something. There's two types of CEOs. CEOs that are tough and get the work done and CEOs that are weak and their companies will go bankrupt someday. You're right. What do you think, Kathy Wild? I think that we're going to have to wait and see. The, the conventional wisdom now, employers have tried very hard for the last two years to get their people back to the office. They've offered free lunch. They've offered free transit. They've offered social activities and, um, and, and made some mandates. And what they've found is that there's a real resistance coming back. And, of course, right now, when people are afraid of the subways, afraid of conditions in the city, personal security issues, uh, much more than the COVID, right now it's tough to make the case that you have to come back because if somebody gets mugged on the way to work, um, the employer doesn't want to be responsible for that. So that's an open issue. Yeah, you could say, uh, yeah, I'm going to assume, a guarantee to go to an ambulance-chasing lawyer and, and say, I'm going to assume <laughs> my employer, he made me come back to work, he threatened me, mm-hmm. and that's why I got hit over the head by a homeless guy. Yeah, that's right. So, but, but what I was going to start to say is conventional wisdom is that as the assuming we're going toward a recession, uh, we've seen the market. Uh, cost a lot of us our savings. Um, we've seen a lot of, we've, as we get into recession, if the economy turns sour, if people really start to feel financially insecure, forget safety and health issues, if they start to feel like financially insecure, they're going to come back to the office because they want to be there. They don't want to be the guy that's lopped off the paycheck. Right. If you work from home, you're more likely to be let go from your job than if you're somebody who goes in person. Now, what is the number one reason as to why people say they don't want to come back into the office? Is it crime? Is that what they're saying? Crime is the number one external reason. There's two causes that are pretty much up there. Crime, homelessness, mental health, people being harassed on the way to work, et cetera, is one. And then even with that, almost, 
is no, but none of my friends have to go back. So it's one of those self-fulfilling things that until everybody comes back, people will have that as a as an excuse. We have a prime to. Reason we, I love our city. We have to open it up, Kathy. Well, our city is open. The offices are the problem. People are back. As you saw, the numbers are up on people riding the subway. But as the governor pointed out at a meeting we had with her a couple of weeks ago, she said, the numbers are up on the subway. It's just not during commuting hours. It's weekends and evenings. Understood. Uh, the $64 billion question. You ready, uh, Kathy? You all? Uh, we had okay. a commissioner, former commissioner Bill Bratton on yesterday, and he says... Uh, Rikers Island being closed down is a done deal and uh, irreversible. Do you believe that, or is that true? I don't. Honestly, I don't know. I was on the Rikers Island Commission that recommended that it be shut down and that new jails be built, and I was pretty convinced at the time that that was a smart way to go because if you've been to Rikers, you know it's a disaster falling apart. Um, on the other hand, the other night I was talking to one of the leaders in the corrections officers union and he said, there's plenty of land on Rikers. They could build the new jails right there. And um, you can remodel jails pretty, pretty cheap, can't you? And you don't have to, and you don't have to disrupt stable neighborhoods in the community and bring the lawless and the mentally ill into those neighborhoods. And high rise jails are notoriously bad. And give them all the service they need in a centralized facility. I, listen, Kathy well, Wilde is a friend. I don't want to put her in the corner. She's a friend. No, but she's agreeing with us. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not defensive about it because I now, I'm, I now feel that it's more likely um, that we should, that probably there's not, there may not be enough jail cells with these new plans for the jails. They've greatly reduced the number of, of people they can accommodate in them. So they may have to do something they on can't, Rikers. Kathy, but I will they can't you. accommodate more than three or 4,000 on these community jails and the numbers. So, well, that's the issue. That's the issue. Absolutely. And, but if you go to Rikers, you'll see that this has to be new construction. Those, those buildings, I mean, they're falling apart. It's ridiculous. Kathy Wild, I'd like you to study it a little bit more and let's talk about it a little bit more. Cause you're one smart lady, one of the smartest ones I know. And uh, we want to, we want to do the right thing for our city. And, and I think uh, that commission got conned a little bit by uh, whoever. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you, John. Thank you, and uh, God bless New York. We need need God's blessing. It's a common-sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show, where we talk about everything that you need to know going on around the world, around the block, and in our city and in our country. On the line for us right now is John Chachis. He is a founder and a managing partner of Methuselah Advisors. He's a, it's a financial advisory firm specializing in media and digital content. John Chachis, thank God, Mayor Adams resisted the the call for more masking, and you even have some people talking about more lockdowns because of COVID. I mean, what would that do to our economy that's already struggling? Oh. Oh, boy. I mean, I was thrilled to see him actually exercise some some rational judgment. I mean, all you have to do is look at midtown Manhattan, where two thirds of offices are empty, where uh, people are still walking around outdoor with a mask on, which makes no sense. Um, I mean, there's just all kinds of repercussions from the prior COVID policies that are still a hangover on the recovery of this city. 
And uh, what's amazing is instead of looking at the statistics, how many people are hospitalized, how many people are dying from this disease, there's all kinds of COVID cases, many, many COVID cases. In fact, I suspect that will go on for a very, very long time if you look at what the experts in epidemiology you know, and virology say. But the idea of telling everybody, stop going to your office, stop attending events in the city, what a disaster, a total catastrophe for the fabric of the city. Well, let's get, well, at the same time you're on, let's get Dr. Mark Siegel on. Is Mark Siegel on, too? Mark Siegel, doctor? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Well, you know what happened? The control also, room is screwing up again. What happened with my daughter's school, by the way, so she's only five years old. They said, oh, she came in contact with someone who has COVID. We want her to stay home for two weeks. I said, two weeks? That's not even the CDC guidelines. And meanwhile, I've got like all the tests kind of stacked up on top of my refrigerator. And then they came back and they said it was five days. I mean, in this day and age, I have to ask you, John Chachis, where we know that COVID more than likely people survive. We've got all the therapeutics. We've got all the testing and people are vaccinated i kind of feel like it's it's getting silly that we're having people stay home that are perfectly healthy asymptomatic for weeks uh, at a time Look, it's absurd it's absurd and and and, and, and f- fundamentally what we know about the virus and we know about who's at risk and this is well documented across the country frankly across the globe people who are at risk people who have pre-existing conditions um and who know that if they catch this are gonna are, are gonna really suffer ought to be really really careful they ought not go into places where they're going to be in close contact with lots and lots of people. They ought to wear a mask. They should wear a mask. But the rest of society sort of needs to go back to living. And the fact is the vast, vast, vast majority of people that are ca- that are catching this virus, I, I had it. Didn't even know I had it. I mean, I, I sort of felt crappy. Two weeks later, went to a doctor and said, yeah, you have antibodies. You had COVID. I didn't even know. And there's literally thousands and thousands of people in this city that are probably walking around. But what are we going to do? Shut down the entire economy and shut down the entire society? It's nuts. Dr. Siegel just joined us on the line. Dr. Siegel, we were just talking before our little technical difficulty there about how it's kind of getting a little absurd at this point that if someone tests positive for COVID, they got to stay home from work or school for a week or two weeks. Uh, should it at this point, we, we can probably live with it. What do you think, Dr. Siegel? I spoke about it this morning to a visionary named Stuart Varney, who was saying the same thing, but he went a step further than me, as he always does. And here's what I want to say. Yes, there's a reason for home testing still. And by the way, the home testing companies must be making out like bandits. So maybe maybe uh, that'll be John Casamitidi's next venture. I mean, I don't know. Well, he, owns know everything in New- he owns everything in New York already. John, John Chatch he- is my investment banker, so I look to him. Okay, okay. So that's right. That's what you get. That's what makes you a genius is that you ask for other geniuses opinions. But here's the thing. I think there's a value if you get sick. You know why? Because I may give you Paxlovid. I may give you a, a treatment. And I like that. I like to know who actually has COVID so I can treat. Also, if you're in an area with someone at high risk, I might want to test them if they're exposed. But the point you're making, Lydia, which I agree with, is if you go out on the street, you may be even more likely to get it than getting it in your own house. So why would you quarantine people because they're exposed? It makes no sense at all. Because you say, okay, you're quarantined, but what does that mean? The chances of catching it in a household where someone else has it is only about one in three. So if you're careful, and, you know, that's archaic at this point in the, in the pandemic to be sticking people away from work for 10 days or seven days or five, even five days 
when you can do a rapid test and go about your business. I completely agree with that. I think we're overusing testing and overusing quarantining. I have one other question. So you look. So you look at the. You look at the implications to young people who can't go to school or can't do the normal things that they would do at their age. You look at businesses in Manhattan that have instituted this: come for two days or come for three days a week. And I keep looking for what the logic is for these policies, because the collateral damage of all of that, in terms of small businesses that have nobody, you know, walking down the side streets to a pizza parlor or to a restaurant. I mean, the damage to the fabric of the city relative to the benefit of the policy is is just it's incredible that we're still talking about it, frankly. I agree. And I I said that from the beginning. I I thought the word collateral damage applied to lockdowns from the beginning. And the only people that profited off of it were the rats in the city. See how big they got, how fat they got from from (laughs) all the garbage that went uncollected on the side streets. Uh, God knows those must be the best unions in town that that, that cover the people that were collecting our garbage. But the point is, you know, I'm being too humorous here, but the point is that the collateral damage has been enormous. And it's the middle guy that gets hit and, and people that don't have any money because because rich people can work from home people what, what about people that were that were shut down with kids from school that were closed and couldn't go to work at all it's gentlemen, incredible gentlemen it's, it's richard weinberg i have to tell you i think on the economics if we have another another big shutdown it's going to be a catastrophe for this economy okay i think on the mental health issues i think dr siegel is absolutely correct and I think both of you are correct about the loss of educational opportunities and social integration opportunities by locking people away. If we want to kill this country, we do another shutdown. It makes no sense at all. What they keep saying, follow the science. John Chachis, I'll let you um, answer that. And, of course, Dr. Siegel, John, John Chachis, do you feel like they're even following the science anymore at no, this point? No, this is, not, this, is, this, is, this is so far away from follow the science. I mean, let's look at the statistics about states that were – uh, that were far different in their approach to lockdowns, red states, if you will, Utah, uh, Florida, Texas. There's, there's not one scintilla of statistical data that suggests that the lockdown policies instituted in blue states like New Jersey and New York you know, and, and some others did a bit of good in terms of improved numbers, in terms of how many people got the virus, were hospitalized, or died. Zero. There's not one scintilla of data. And all of those states, interestingly, that didn't go to those extremes, people are back, we're back to living. Uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, Dr. Mark Siegel and uh, uh, investment banker uh, uh, John Chatches, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, and, hey, John, if I'm locked down, I wanted to be with you in this group. <laughs> God, God bless you. I think you guys do a great job. And Take in care. the studio with us, we only have one common sense Democrat. No Republicans. They took the day off. We, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Thank you. And Lydia Serrani, a common sense Albanian. Thank you so much. Independent. That's it. Independent. And, and uh, I love that. Let's hear that song. Truth, Justice, Justice and, and the American, American way. way. That's what Superman stood for. And nice. that's what we stand for. We want truth, justice, and the American way. God bless New York. God bless New Jersey, Connecticut. And, and uh, God bless America. We need, we need a blessing. Thank you so much.